Okay, I just want to pray over our tithes and offerings. I do have a uh, scripture I want to read out of James first before I pray over that. Then we'll get into the word this morning. Part of our reading this week was in James. Uh, if you're following the reading with us, some days there's quite a bit of reading that you've got to get done. Uh, it takes you a little time to keep up with it. There's bookmarks, again, on that back table. Uh, you can grab a bookmark and kind of we're reading through the Bible together. Uh, we're in the New Testament. We're working our way through. I think this morning was 1 John, all of it, one chapters 1 through 5, and so you've got you to gotta be on it and stay with it. But it's, it's been a blessing to me, hopefully for you too. But James 2, starting in verse 14, says this. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead." And I started thinking about this in the context of tithes and offerings. I was like, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church and as Christians as a people? Well, faith without works is dead. And we talk so much about trust. And we talk so much about obedience and being obedient to the tithes and what God is calling us to go do above and beyond. Many times he speaks to us. But there's also this element of faith that's linked to trust that says, you know what, I am putting my trust fully in God, and I have faith that he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do, and I will trust him with my finances, and I will go ahead and mix my faith with some action. So we can believe all day, but if we don't mix it with some action, you can believe that all your bills are going to be paid, but if you don't mix it with a little bit of action, saying, Lord, I trust you with my tithe, come on, guys, the Bible is real clear about the promises regarding our tithes and regarding our offerings. And so many times if somebody will come to me and say, I'm just really struggling financially and you know, I can't pay my bills and a lot of questions I ask is, do you tithe? And they kind of look at me. Hmm. I say, guys, this is just being obedient to the, to the word of God. And do we trust him enough? Will we mix our faith in what he says in the Bible that he will do with some action? So many of you mix that faith action. Many of you have testimonies, including myself, of God's faithfulness. That he delivers on his promises. Amen? He, can't, he has to. It's the way it's set up. He has to. So let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are the keeper of the promises. Your promises, your word that you have delivered to us, you keep those promises. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are blessing every gift, every giver, every family that is here, every family watching online today, that you are blessing them with the things that they need and they're trusting in you, Lord, but that each and every one of them is becoming what we're believing is as a distribution center. Father, that you are working through this church and working through our families, that you are delivering stuff to us so that we can then deliver it to someone else. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us is a distribution center. Everything we have is from you, and we're willing to do whatever you tell us to go do with what you've given us. And we put our trust in you. And, Father, I pray over the word today that you will just speak through me this morning, that you continue to clarify and show the vision of Erie Christian Fellowship Church and where we're headed and what you have in store for our future. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to hit a couple scriptures here before we get to that. As you guys know, we've been, we've been doing a series on vision out of Proverbs 29, verse um, 18. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And my hopes in this series is to begin to show you, to begin to reveal what God has in store for Erie Christian Fellowship Church. So that it says in Habakkuk 2 verse 2, when the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Church, I want a church of runners. Yeah, everyone's just like, no, not me. I'm not a runner. Guys, guess what? I am not a runner. Okay? We have determined that physically, God genetically made me that I cannot run long distances. You're like, that's not true. I'm sure you can if you train. You're probably right, but I don't want to train. (laughs) Amen. I don't want to do long distance running. I feel like the Lord gave me like fast twitch muscles and I can sprint from here to there probably as fast as most of you, but then I can't go any further, right? And I'm okay with that, but I want a church full of runners. I want those who can sprint. I want those who can run marathons. I want those who can run the 400, the 800, and the 1200 meter, okay? We all have different parts to play in this race. He's called each and every one of us to run part of this race collectively together, amen? And we each have a different part to play. So I want some runners in here, amen? Anybody want to do some running here? Come on. All right, so what I want to do is we're going to put up that vision slide. Tim, if you want to put that vision slide up for us. We've been kind of casting some vision. We've been talking about, uh, I've been talking for a while, the Lord had shown me across Route 90 and down Route 79, but we believing that we are going to reach a million souls for Jesus Christ in the northwestern Pennsylvania. And the question is, if that's a great vision, Pastor Jason, but how are we going to accomplish that? It's great. That's a great thing. I want to see a million people. We all want to see a million people saved and transformed. But how are we going to do that? I've been spending the past couple weeks looking at our logo, which you can see on the top left-hand side. And the Lord began to reveal to me that our logo has the cross in the center. So whatever we do as a church, Jesus Christ will be the center. He is the center of all that we do. His word, the word of God, the center of everything that we do. And I notice that that cross in our logo makes a pretty nice slice of the circle into four different sections. And in order for those four sections to work, for them to work to reach a million souls, it has to be surrounded by prayer. It has to be surrounded by participation from each of us that we just talked about running the race and about partnership. We, Erie Christian Fellowship Church, won't reach all those million souls all by ourselves. We will do it through partnership with other churches, with other ministries. We will plant churches, I believe. There's a lot of things we will do, but it's going to be in partnership with others. And it's not, it's, it's not about Erie Christian Fellowship Church. In fact, it would be great if our name wasn't even associated with reaching the million souls, because it's not about Erie Christian Fellowship Church. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel message. And so last week, I started on the lost saved bucket of the four kind of things and what that meant, what the church's role is in seeing the lost saved. And I have my little whiteboard up here. If you guys remember, I'm no whiteboard today. I'm so sorry. You will be able to understand everything that I'm writing because I'm writing nothing today, okay? 
So we have the lost saved. We talked about how seeing the lost saved, we have both a church's responsibility and an individual responsibility. And the church's responsibility was to equip you to share the gospel, to train you to share the gospel. It was also to see from a church perspective the partnerships that we have, both globally and locally, reaching people with the gospel, meeting people's practical needs, and planting churches. And I had that whiteboard over there, and I did all this graph stuff. And we're working on a graphic so we can put it up like we did here on this one so you guys can see it clearly. And I want to have more of the missionaries in that we support. And I, want to ha- I know we have Jeremy Gall in here, but I want to have more of the people that we support. So you can- and actually, Brian uh, Lusky was here not too long ago from Grace Church. And he was actually going to be on the worship team one of these weeks. Uh, so we're hoping to... What's that? supposed to be this week. So we're hoping to get him and playing up here with us as well before he heads off to Japan, if you guys remember that. But this morning I want to talk about lives transformed. I want to talk about lives transformed. And we did the joke about Penn State, so please don't talk to me about Penn State. Yes, I know they're 0-5. Yes, I know in the whole history of Penn State football, they've never lost the first five games, and it's very sad. But What we've been doing is we've been doing the we are, and then people would say Penn State, but we are Erie Christian Fellowship Church, and we are reaching a million souls for Jesus Christ, and we are a family church, and we are seeing lives transformed in Jesus' name. So what do I mean by a life transformed? What does that look like? I've got these five words. It's like a process that people go through. Guys, a life transformed is a process. Come on, guys. It is a process. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for a week, whether you've been a Christian for three years, 30 years, or 60 years, or more, it is a process. And here's what I believe the process looks like. The first word is you were first lost. You were lost. Every one of us was lost. And if we don't do the lost saved... You're not going to get to the life transformed. These circles, they interact with each other. You want a family that thrives? Then you need to be saved and you need to see your life being transformed. Because in order to father in today's environment, in order to be a good dad and a good husband, I need my life transformed. I can't do it on TED Talks. I can't do it on watching fun videos on YouTube. I need transformation in my life to be a good father. Striving doesn't work. Reading more books alone doesn't work. I've tried it. Not that they don't help, but it's like they don't work over time because I have to see life transformation. And I believe that when we begin to see that, we will see miracles happen and the sick healed and all of these things begin working together. But a big piece of it is our life being transformed. So you have to move from lost to believing, which means basically that you're saved, to following. You can believe, and you can stop right there and not actually follow Jesus. And man, is that a miserable life. Because you've been given the light. The light has been revealed to you. And we have to actually begin to follow. And once we are lost, and then we believe, and now we're following, we have to grow. Our life begins to be transformed through growing, through growing in the word, through the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin in our life that, you know what, now that I know Jesus, I can no longer walk in that sin anymore. I'm not comfortable with it anymore. That begins to happen on the inside. 
From lost to believe, to follow, to grow, to multiply. A life transformed leads to multiplication. A life transformed leads to discipleship of others. A discipled life leads to discipling others. What does a transformed life look like? It looks like a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that and look at that here in just a minute. But it means a non-normal life. As you walk with the Lord, I am telling you, we should look less and less and less like the world. Guys, come on. We need to, I mean, even today, man, the stuff that's going on, we need to look less and less and less like the world. Not in how we're, like, dressing. I mean, okay, I mean, I guess you could if you wanted to. But I'm talking about in how we are speaking and what we are believing what we are saying, how we're treating others, how we walk into a room. We need to be different. I've said it, we need to be not normal. Church, can we just be not normal? Because normal, collectively, add it all together, you get some kind of average. I don't want to be average. I don't want to be average. I want a life transformed so much so that I'm not normal, that I'm not average anymore because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. I want to be the ones who are influencing the world, not being influenced by it. And a life transformed, we ought to look miraculously, because of his power, different on the other side than pre-Jesus in our life. You know, my dad, I don't know if he's probably not watching at the moment, he's in the hospital, so if you guys could pray for my dad. Uh, he's from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He's 84 years old. He had like an asthma attack the other day. So he's in the hospital. But every time I think of a life transformed, I think of my dad. My dad, and I've told some of the stories about him, I think, before. My dad was a motorcycle gang leader, pool hustler, street fighter, marine boxer. Okay, that's like, okay, now string all those things together, and this is my dad. If you would meet my dad today, you'd be like, shut up. <laughs> you are lying to me. There's no way that this gentle, mild-mannered man who believes in Jesus, who is sharing and encouraging and uplifting, and yes, I know 84 years of life will begin to maybe soften a few things here and there. Like, I'm a little softer at 44 than I was at 24. But a life transformed, my dad, I mean, literally would beat you up, take your money, beat you then at pool again, and then drive off with his motorcycle gang. I mean, this was the life that he lived. But then Jesus entered into his life. And Jesus entered into all of our lives. And we look back and say, my life has been transformed. Because without Jesus, Lord, help us all. But with Jesus, does that mean I'm perfect today one? No. Does it mean I'm ever perfect? No. None of us are. But it's this journey, it's this process of walking through from lost to believe, to grow, to multiply. We multiply. Our goal is multiplication and making disciples. So the Bible says in Matthew 4, I'm going to read this, I told you to turn there, Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
Matthew 4, verse 18. Gina, Wabba Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. They immediately left their comfort. They immediately left their profession. They immediately left everything that brought them from the world, the things that they thought would make them comfortable, and they left. They followed him immediately with a strange term called a fisher of men. They're probably like, what is this guy talking? I mean, think about it. If someone came up to you and you didn't understand the Bible, say, I want to make you a fisher of men. They'd be like, what are you talking about? But the Holy Spirit's so strong on Jesus Christ, walking on this earth, as he said, follow me. Holy Spirit convicted them and said, I'm going to follow this person. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I am going to leave everything behind and follow him. And when we go from lost to being saved, to growing and to multiplying, we have to leave everything of this world behind. Everything, not meaning we literally leave our family, although God calls some people to do that, or leave our kids, my goodness, no. Saying to leave the trust in the net, in the physical nets of life, the physical nets of gathering the fish of life that I can control. I can say when that, when that net goes. It says leave all that alone. Leave it all behind and follow me. And the interesting in the book of Matthew, chapters 1 through 4, it talks about who they were following. There are descriptive words about Jesus. I'm going to read these to you. You can read Matthew 1 through 4. It says, they call Jesus Savior, Messiah, Son of David, Son of Abraham, the center of history, fully human, fully divine, sovereign over the wise, shepherd of the weak, the ends of our exile, Loves his enemies, Savior, King, righteous judge, filled with the Spirit, loved by the Father God, the new Adam, the true Israel, the light of the world, and the hope of all nations. All that is leading up to Matthew chapter 4. Now, whether these guys knew that or understood that, that's what they sensed the moment he said, follow me. The Holy Spirit convicted them of all that list of who Jesus was and said, I have to go. I have to go follow him. Verse 21 goes on and says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the sons of thunder, as they're called in other places. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left it all. Church, the things we are holding on to, if we want a life transformed, we have to let them go. Is it your job? Or is our trust in something or somewhere else limiting our ability to follow him? Each and every one of us has to be moving from lost to believe, to follow, to grow, and to multiply. You look at the Apostle Paul's life, man, what a transformation. From lost to blinded <laughs> to saved to restored, to growing, and his ultimate goal was to multiply. The church, we play a part in this, Sunday mornings to equip, 
We've got groups, we've got community groups that meet at home. We've got men to men, we've got women to women. We've got groups, we've got a leadership Christian academy. We have a school. We've got all these tools to help disciple. All these things that we can get to do and you can play a part in those as a church. But let me ask us about us today. How about us? What does a disciple do? What does someone who has a transformed life do? Let's turn to the book of Acts with me, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. It's talking about the early church. It's talking about the disciples. It's talking about Christians, those who are following him. They've made the decision to follow him. What does their world look like? What does their life look like? Then those who gladly, verse 41, then those who gladly received his word, thank you, Jesus, they were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Look at this, 42. And they continued steadfastly. Steadfastly. That's like immovable. Not able to move steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine, in the word of God. But not just that. And in fellowship. Whoa, in fellowship. You mean just reading the Bible at, at home all by myself? There's more for me to do as a disciple? There is more for you to do as a disciple. He is calling fellowship into the church. He's calling us to be able to be discipled and to make disciples. It has to be doing life with each other. This is what the early church did. Why do we think we can do it some other way? The answer is we can't. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' time in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. They read, they studied the word of God, they fellowshiped, they did life together. They were making other disciples. Do you know that God has created us to reproduce? No matter what the world says. And I'm not going to get into that right now. And I don't mean just physically. I mean in a spiritual sense as well. He is calling us to reproduce. He is calling us to make disciples. He is calling us to multiply. Here are some discipleship myths. You ready? One of the discipleship myths that I wrote down is this is separate from my day job. Like you hear the word discipleship and you're just like, oh my gosh. Like do I have to get a degree in discipleship? Do I have to like quit my job and then like go to like a discipleship like special thing? Like this word begets to be intimidating. It becomes intimidating to us because we don't understand what it is. But let me tell you something, guys. It's not separate from your day job. It's not actual a job. It's something you do on a day-to-day basis. It's something you do where you are, where God has you, who he has put in front of you. It's called the rhythm of life. We disciple others in the rhythm of our lives. I'm not going to ask you all to stand up, close your eyes, spin around three times, and whoever you open your eyes up to, that's who you're supposed to disciple from now on. Like, that would be so goofy. You want to try it? Yeah, no, no. It's who God has in front of you. It's called the rhythm of your life. Now watch this. I'm going to start clapping, and I want you guys to clap with me. Ready? Okay. All right, guys. How, how hard was that? How hard was that? This is discipleship. 
We make it so overly complicated. It has to happen in the rhythm of our life. If I was up here and started... Okay, now follow me now. You'd be like, I can't, I can't do that. You can't do that. Max is trying. I get it. He might be able to do it. But one of the myths that we have is discipleship is this super complicated thing that we don't understand. It's a big word. He said, go make disciples, and I don't know what to do. He's given us all the tools that we need. He's given us the word. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us people right in front of us. And he's saying, go make disciples in the rhythm of your life. It's not a job. Another discipleship myth that we have is you have to go find someone to do it. You don't have to. God will begin to reveal. My encouragement to you is to pray and ask the Lord, who is it in my life? You probably already know. Who God has aligned you with, who he has put in your life that you need to go and disciple with someone. Another myth, that you have to do something to them. You don't have to do something to them. You get to do life with them. Discipleship is doing life with them. It's not doing something to them. This is how we treat our kids. This is how we raise our children. Fathers, mothers, you don't do something to your kids. You live life with your kids. And when your child goes through a situation, you don't conjure up the situation to try to scare them and then coach them how to get through it. It's when the situation comes up, when it occurs, you begin to talk to them and speak to them, and you walk them through the situation based on the promises of the Word of God. That's what discipleship is. It's not that scary. It's not that complicated. I think we overly complicate it, and then we don't do it because we're not sure what to do. I can make a disciple, there's another myth, I can make a disciple without being one. No. No. That's like me saying, I am going to produce a six foot five, come on, don't laugh, a six foot five basketball player. I'm, I'm not, like, it's possible, like, like, probably not. Given my genetic history on both sides of my family, ain't nobody over six foot. Nobody. Now, how many hormones they put in today's foods? Another sermon, not going to get to it today. And how bad it is for you, let's not talk, we're not talking about healthy eating right now. I'm not going to make someone who's six foot five. You cannot produce something in someone else that you are not. And so in order to make disciples, we have to be discipled. We have to be allowing other people to coach us and to talk to us and to be involved in our lives. This is about the fellowship part in Acts chapter 2 that we talked about. It's about doing this together. I love that we have kids in worship. I love that we have kids in worship. Because you know what? They're watching you worship. They're learning from you how to worship. And too often, we, and I would been, I've, been, I've done this in the past, say, well, why doesn't my kid do this? Or why doesn't my kid do that? Well, do you do that? Do you do this? Whatever it is, add to this and to that. Oh, my kids don't read the Bible. Do they ever see you reading the Bible? Well, no. You expect them to just randomly pick up the Bible and start reading it if mom and dad aren't reading the Bible? Well, my kids don't raise, raise their hands in worship. 
And I really, really wish they would. Like, it's just really important to me that they raise their hands in worship. You say, do, do you raise your hands in worship? Yeah. yeah. Does your mom? Yes. So you do. Guys, this is about this discipleship. Is, it's life. It's the rhythm of life. We're doing this life together. It's not separated. The church is called to be together and to do life together. Another myth, the person I'm discipling cannot disciple me in any way. Nope. You know how much my kids have taught me? You know how much people have taught me that I've been discipling? They add back into your life as well. Here's another myth. It can be done quickly so I can check it off my to-do list. Who's the to-do list people in the room with me? Come on, raise your hands. I like to see my to-do list people, right? It's just like, okay, it's Monday. I'm making a fresh list for the week. I'm going to write down the word disciple. And so today and solely today, I'm going to keep my mind focused completely on discipling. Guys, discipleship doesn't work like that. It's not a to-do list that you check off. It's we're doing something together in life with others. Moms, dads, here's one for you that I've heard before. I'm called to disciple only people outside of my home. Now, if the Lord told you that, we should have a discussion privately, (laughs) privately about that. Yes, maybe. We are to disciple people outside of our home, but our primary responsibility is inside of our home, where he has placed us. And parents, I'm sorry, but the abdication of our responsibility to others for the training and the admonition and the raising up of our children has to stop. We cannot Look to somebody else and say, yeah, you train my child in the way he should go. They are going to reproduce who they are. You may or may not want that reproduction in your child's life. So you have to be intentional about where you send them to school, where you send them to church. The Lord says send them to a certain place, then by all means send them. But if you are not involved in your child's life, in your grandchild's life, in your niece's life, in your nephew's life, they are becoming like somebody who is influencing in their life. And I believe that God is calling us as a church to be influencers, first in our family, and then our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. Here's the last myth. If I just try harder, I'll be able to make it happen. Right? All those who are, nothing's impossible with God. So you know what? I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to write it three times on my action item list for the day, and I'm going to put it on every day. I'm just going to try harder. You know what? He is with us. He is for us. Don't stress out about it. It's in the rhythm of life. If you forget everything else I said, remember us all clapping together. Discipleship happens in the rhythm of our life. So how do we do this? How do we disciple? Turn with me to Deuteronomy 11. Going to Old Testament here. Deuteronomy 11. This is talking about, I mean, it's talking about parents and raising children, but really it's talking about the discipleship process. It's really talking about what does it look like? What do we do and how do we do it? 
If it's not an action item, it needs to be a rhythm of my life. What does it look like? Starting in verse 18 says this, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. First and foremost, it has to be in your heart. First and foremost, it has to be in your soul. And bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. Look at this, verse 19. You shall teach them to your children. You shall teach them to those who God has placed in your life for discipleship. Speaking of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. When you lie down. And when you rise up. Sounds like life to me. Anybody, is that not everybody's rhythm of life right there? Right? You wake up. You sit down, you rise up, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again, and you do it again. And this discipleship of life transforming both in our lives and us pouring into others is a process that happens over time. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be what? Multiplied. There's that word again. In the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of heaven above the earth. When you sit down, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're walking around, doing it together. So where does this happen? Acts chapter 2, back to Acts chapter 2. I'm giving you guys like a Bible workout here. Old Testament, new, back to new. Acts chapter 2. So continuing when? Daily. Continuing daily, day in and day out, intentionality. The Bible says that we must make every day intentional because the days are what? Good and prosperous and everything well? No. It says that the days are what? They're evil. The days are evil, which means if we are not intentional about what we're doing during those days, evil ends up ruling the day. So they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I encourage you a couple weeks ago, start getting together with somebody, anybody in the church. Just start making relationships that you feel God calling you to make. Because in these times, in the future, you had talked about it earlier, the, the need for relationships with each other within the church is greater now, I believe, than it's ever been. And the world and the enemy will do everything possible to separate us. To divide us, to separate us, and to isolate us. And the enemy wants us isolated. But if you look at the early church, everything that was going on, all their diseases, all their problems, all their persecution, all the challenges that they had, I could list them, and they're probably more significant than what we are facing today. But what did they do? They were of one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Worship team, you want to come back up here? Or the, just Michael on the keyboard? I'm not sure who's coming up. Discipleship happens when stuff happens in life. To be able to walk with each other through it. So what about our posture? What does our posture look like? We must be willing to be discipled, and we must be willing to disciple. We have to be open. If you're not open with somebody and honest with somebody, then you're unable to be discipled by somebody. 
And most of us don't want to share our deepest, darkest secrets and fears, sins and challenges. But the Bible says if you keep them under wraps and we don't confess them, what? One to another. One to another. Sounds like discipleship to me. One to another, not just confess them to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. Thank you, Lord. But if we don't confess one to another the sins and challenges of our life, there's healing that's blocked in our life. It's right in James. We just read it as a church if you're reading with us. We want healing. We want wholeness in our life. Wholeness doesn't come like that. Wholeness comes as a process. Wholeness comes as we're broken. Wholeness comes as we confess. Wholeness comes as we open up and share as the Lord leads and develops relationships in our life. And I'm so thankful for the ones that I've had, the ones that I still have, and the new ones that he's developing in my personal life. If you look at Jesus and how he lived his life, there were hundreds of disciples. Yet there were 70 that he, or 70 or 72, depending on where in the gospel you read it, that he sent out two by two. There were 12 who were kind of his core disciples, but there were three, three that were on the inner circle. Come on, church. Can we start with just one? Jesus. Fully God, fully man, had three. Twelve over, and thirty and odd, whatever, but he had three that he trusted fully in to share. He took them to the garden with him. Those three. When he was facing the most difficult challenges of his life. Now they failed him, they fell asleep. Lord help us, Lord help me, I can fall asleep pretty quick. But he took three with him. Say, share this burden with me. Walk this through with me because I can't do it only by myself. He was partnering with others. We have to do the same. I want to just bow our heads for a moment. I want to pray for you guys. I want you to know that He promises always to be with you. Say, well, where do I start? Just begin to pray even now. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, to strengthen you, to guide you. To show you the people in the rhythm of your life that you need to begin to pour into. That you need to allow others to pour into you. As your eyes are closed, if you just begin to think of the multiplication that can happen from this. You say a hundred people in this room. If it's just two that each of you begin to disciple we end up with 300. And if those 300 just do two, 
we end up getting 600 plus the 300 original, which is 900. I love math. I can multiply real quick to a million souls for Jesus Christ. But each of us has to start with one, with two, who God has placed in front of us to do life together, to both disciple and to be discipled. So Father, I ask you this morning, you would strengthen us, you would lead us, you would guide us, that we would live a life that is transformed, that's not normal, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, that we would see the Great Commission not as a choice to consider, but a command to obey. To make disciples is not a choice that we're considering. It's a command that we should obey. So, Father, I ask that you would strengthen us in that. Father, I thank you that we can be part of a church, a community that want to live that way to be part of a people who really believe in Jesus and who want and desire to see multiplication. Father, take us out of our comfort zones. Help us to not view the possessions of this world as anything more than they are but temporary. Father, let us live for the treasures of the world to come. Father, let us see disciples made. Let us see churches multiplied. From our community to all of northwest Pennsylvania and to the world. Father, we want to see disciples making disciples who make disciples. Father, we know that this is not a spectator sport. But we all need to play a part in the game. So Father, we thank you that this truly is a call worth dying for. For you truly are a king worth living for. So Father, encourage us and strengthen us today. In Jesus' name. And Father, with every head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, if there's anyone here this morning who have not taken that very first step, or anyone watching online who have not taken the first step from being lost to believing, if that's you this morning, just raise your hand. You say, I need to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior today. Of course, I can't see you if you're raising your hand online, but I would encourage you to pray and invite Him A simple prayer that leads to a not-so-simple life, but will lead to a life transformed. That that simple prayer is you just accept Jesus into your heart. That you believe that he died for your sins. That he rose from the grave. He paid the price for your sins both in the past and today and in the future. And invite him in. And when we invite him in, over the course of time, we begin to release each and every part of our life to him. If you said that prayer today for the first time, I just encourage you to see me afterwards or 
send an email to the church or call the church as there's next steps that you need to take. It's more than a prayer. It's a life transformed. So, Father, we thank you for working in our hearts today. Thank you, Father, that you are working in our life to be not normal anymore. You are transforming us by your power. And, Lord, that we would see this discipleship not as a scary word that's too much for us to handle, but that we just begin to do it in the rhythm of our life. Where you placed us, where you have us, and who you put in front of us, that we would posture ourselves both to be discipled and to disciple others. And Lord, I'm reminded that your age does not matter in this discussion. If you're a young person here, or you're an older sibling, I believe the Lord is telling you this morning, you can be part of the discipleship plan for your younger siblings. They watch you They look at you. They see how you deal with things. They want to be like you. (laughs) So be strengthened and encouraged to model Jesus Christ for those who are at your schools, in your families, your cousins, and all those God has placed before you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, guys, look up here. We have some prayer teams that are going to be up here. There's going to be one here and one here in the front. They're going to pray with you if you need anything at all. Prayer for healing. Maybe you didn't raise your hand and you are just a little embarrassed to do it. They can pray with you up here to go do that as well. If you have a physical need in your body, they are here to pray with you. If you just need to tell them something, confess something to you, it's not a confessional. There's no priests up here. But a lot of times what the Lord says is we need to confess our sins one to another. Amen? And he brings healing in our lives. So you guys are dismissed. Have an amazing day. Enjoy Thanksgiving. And we will see you post-Thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed.